1: Welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Max Kaiser. We have a great show for you today. With us, we have Daniel Tillers, who is Assistant Professor of History at the Pedagogical University of Krakow in Poland. He's here to talk about his new book, British Fascist Anti Semitism and Jewish Responses 1932 to 1940. It was published in 2015 by Bloomsbury. Thanks very much for being on the show today, Daniel.
0: Thanks for inviting me.
1: Um, first off, how did you come to write this book?
0: Um, well, the book stems from um, my PhD thesis, which I um, wrote at uh, uh, the University of London a few years ago um, under the supervision of David Cesarani. Um, I'd had a, a kind of long standing interest in fascism generally and British fascism in, in particular, going back really to my undergrad uh, history days but I studied um, under Roger Griffin who's a renowned scholar of fascism and um, helped to spark my interest um, in the subject and I think the first um, the first academic article I ever published was on um, British fascists or fascist related violence, a conflict between the British fascists and anti-fascists and especially Jews and the fascist anti-Semitism that caused that conflict so I um, when it came to doing a PhD, the PhD, that was something that I'd already um, uh, spent a lot of time and effort um, researching and writing on. Um, and then the the book itself, or the PhD, which led to the book, um, I was, I suppose, motivated by the fact that I felt, and I think this came out in the book, that although all of the individual topics that I include in the book have been extremely well covered in the historiography and some as i mentioned in the book some would say they've been too well covered they've received more attention than they deserve so british fascism british jewish history um the history of anti-semitism in britain british anti-fascism these have all received a lot of attention but i felt that most of the existing work (laughs) focused on these areas individually and in isolation and um there'd been Relatively little effort to um, to bridge the gaps between them and to produce accounts of this period that um, uh, made use of sources from all of these areas. So, scholars of British fascism focused on fascist sources. Scholars of Anglo-Jewish history focused on Jewish sources, and there was relatively little effort to to bring these together and to produce an account that um, uh, um, uh, that, that combined them. And this was especially um, uh uh, especially strange from my perspective given that so many scholars in all the areas had focused on this issue of so-called interaction between them so the extent to which and the way in which these different groups fascists jews anti-fascists the state um interacted with one another the relationship they had with one another so um it seemed to me that what was lacking was um um a, a single account that that um didn't just focus from one perspective, but brought all of the different sides
1: together. Great. So your book focuses on the period 1932 to 1940. Why did you choose um, this period? And what was sort of the more general historical and political context for the story that you, that you outline here? What was, what was happening in, um, in the world and in, in Britain um, at, this, at this time?
0: Yeah. Well, um, of course. Yeah, the, the the dates that are chosen relate precisely to those, both the international and domestic context, um, and it, specifically, I mean, the dates 1932 to 1940 reflect the date of the founding and the dissolution of the main British fascist party um, uh, during the interwar period, or well, the largest British fascist party that's ever existed at any stage, the British Union of Fascists, um, Oswald Mosley's party. Um, and it was the BUF that was the, the main focus of my analysis, especially when it came to British fascist anti-Semitism. So, in that regard, it made sense to um, uh, for the the chronological period of the book to um, to start and finish with the the foundation and dissolution of the BUF. But also, of course, this period the nineteen thirties generally, but the, the period that I've chosen in particular um, covers the most intense period of conflicts um, in Britain between um, the, the uh, fascists and their Jewish opponents. And of course, if you look at events in Europe, it was 1932 when um, Hitler rose to power and 1939 when the war broke out, which makes a kind of a natural um, uh, conclusion um, uh, to the period that I'm looking at um, I like, extend slightly into the war because the fascists continued to function for the first few months of the war before they were uh, dissolved by the British state. Um, so um, in terms of the, both the domestic context and the international context, the, the time period, 32 to 40, made sense.
1: So, tell, us more, uh, tell us a bit more about the British Union of Fascists, the BUF. Um where did, where did they come from? What did they look like? What, what, what was their ideology?
0: So um, the BUF, they were founded and really dominated by um, uh, Sir Oswald Mosley, who was uh, from a British aristocratic family. Um, he'd previously been a mainstream politician, but had always been quite restless. He uh, started off in... The Conservative Party uh, after the First World War. He'd been a military officer during the First World War. Um, he then, in the mid 20s, um, uh, crossed Parliament to join um, the Labour Party and briefly became a member of the cabinet in the Labour government. Um, but he'd never been entirely satisfied with the, um, uh, the mainstream political environment, and partly that was out of kind of impatience with pace at which things happened the slow pace in his regard at which things happened um but also in terms of his beliefs which started to become increasingly um radical over the late 20s and early 30s um so that led him to first leave the Labour Party and he founded a kind of proto-fascist party called the New Party, which contested elections in the early 30s but um, uh, didn't do uh, very well, didn't win any seats, certainly. Um, and then in 1932, he he made the decision to uh, to kind of complete his transition to, to fascism and in late 1932, he founded the BUF. Um, and the BUF itself was quite, Typically fascist in the the kind of the the trappings had all the trappings of fascism the the univ- uniforms the kind of quasi military structure the marches um, but also not just in its activity but in Mosley's ideology as well he this idea of um, this ultra-nationalistic idea of bringing about rebirth of the country being on its knees and uh, requiring a vigorous new force focused around youth and action um, to try and revive the fortunes of the country. Um, And so initially, as I say in the book, um, the BUF um, attempted to pursue a more respectable kind of form of fascism, one that it felt was suited to the British environment. So it downplayed some of the more extreme aspects of fascist belief and activity um, that had come to prominence in other parts of Europe. So it tried to downplay its violence. It tried to deny that it was anti-Semitic so it made an attempt to um, uh, to, to look slightly more respectable um, and more suited to the British political environment but um, this quite rapidly fell apart. It was initially quite successful, the party attracted large membership, a lot of positive interest over the first couple of years but um, as I say in the book, in mid 1934, there was a particularly violent fascist meeting at the Olympia meeting hall in London. Uh, the fascist stewards uh, uh, violently ejected um, anti-fascist hecklers. Uh, it's attracted a lot of negative publicity. Um, and it was from that moment that the kind of the, the true nature of, um, uh, of fascism in Britain started to emerge and uh, kind of pushed Mosley and the party beyond the pale. Um, Uh, And so we see over the remainder of the 1930s, the party become um, uh, more uh, explicit in its in its anti-Semitism. It continued to present both anti-Semitism and violence as defensive necessities pushed upon it, but it became far more um, willing to uh, to use both and less um, embarrassed about admitting um, uh, some of these facets of its uh, its ideology and its activity. Um, and then so over the rest of the 1930s, the party never managed to kind of reach the heights that it had in its early days. Um, and what it became particularly well known for, what it's best remembered for in British public memory, is this um, uh, the vicious... Uh, anti semitic east end campaign that happened in uh, in East london, especially in the mid 1930s where the fascists realized that there was um uh, at least a minority of local residents who um, uh, who were sympathetic towards their ideas, especially their anti-Semitism, because the area housed a very large Jewish population and so they began to focus all their efforts in this one relatively poor um, area of London uh, which resulted in um, uh, these great outbreaks of violence, most famously the the Battle of Cable Street, this big clash between the fascists and their opponents um, and then over the late 1930s we do see a A slight revival in their fortunes due to international circumstances. Um, Oswald Mosley launched this uh, so-called anti-war campaign to try to prevent um, Britain from going to war with Nazi Germany and that attracted a degree of interest and some sympathy um, among certain um, parts of British society who are keen to uh, avoid Britain getting into another war. And there was also a refugee crisis taking place with lots of refugees, especially Jewish refugees arriving in Britain. And so again, this was something that the BUF was able to exploit. So there was a minor bump in in interest in the party in the late 1930s. But once the war broke out, the British fascists were regarded as potential fifth columnists, as traitors. Um, And so in 1940, the British authorities forcibly Disbanded the party and interned many of its leading figures, including Mosley, um, for a large section of the war. So um, that kind of covers the main aspects of its history over um, over the nineteen thirties.
1: Great. So can you tell us what what has been the standard narrative about the British Union of Fascists and their anti-Semitism, and how does your research challenge this narrative? What what form did their anti-Semitism take? And you particularly talk about um Mosley's key role in, in formulating the party's um anti-Semitism. Can you um expand on that for us?
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, there's there's probably two main areas in which I've tried to challenge the existing perceptions of of when, how and why the party adopted anti-Semitism. And as I said a moment ago, initially Mosley had tried to make his party appear more respectable, and that meant Publicly downplaying anti-Semitism, and a lot of the scholarship, especially scholars who have focused on British fascism in particular, so not necessarily historians of the Jewish community or of anti-fascism, but those who have focused on fascism in particular. Um, although they don't take Mosley's words completely credulously, there has been a um, a pervading sense in the historiography that Mosley. And certainly Mosley himself and many other members of the party did not want the BUF to be anti Semitic in its early days. This was not something that they intended. And so the 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 belief has been that it was only in uh, autumn nineteen thirty four that the party officially decided to adopt anti Semitism, which was announced at a, a series of meetings that mostly held in London and Manchester during that period. And the um, uh, the general sentiment in most of the historiography is that, to varying degrees, Jews themselves were um, responsible for inducing this decision by Mosley, due to the aggressive way that they'd opposed the BUF, and this was very much the fascist's own narrative of events. They claimed that they'd been innocently um, propagating their ideas without any anti-Semitism at all, and they'd actually gone out of their way to deny that anti-Semitism was part of their program. And yet Jews had anyway um, decided to aggressively oppose the party, both at a kind of street level of um, uh, Jewish communists or other anti-fascists attacking fascist event, but also at a higher level of these alleged... Jewish financiers who were supporting anti-fascist opposition financially, who were um, uh, putting financial pressure on the media, on businesses who were sympathetic towards the fascists. So the fascists created this version of events in which they were forced to become anti-Semitic by the Jews themselves. And a lot of the uh, historic- historiography sub- subsequently has kind of accepted to varying degrees this version of events, although they admit that there were genuine anti-fascists within the BUF and that there were some other reasons for its decision to officially adopt anti-Semitism, most scholars have included this so-called interactionist element um, uh, within their explanations of BUF anti-Semitism, alleging that Jews, by their aggressive approach to fascism, helped to push the BUF towards anti-Semitism. And that was one of the things that immediately, as I started to to analyse the fascist discourse, especially in in the early days of the party, that was something that immediately struck me as um, uh, 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 as not being entirely correct. Um, And it was quite apparent, even from his very first meeting, his very first public address as the leader of the fascist party, that Mosley was already outlining the elements of uh, an anti-Semitic position. And of course, he didn't make this explicit for the first couple of years of the party's existence, because he understood that anti-Semitism was not something that was um, well established in British the British political environment. It, it existed, but not necessarily in, in such explicit form. And so he understood that he had to be careful with this aspect of policy. But it's quite clear that long before the autumn of 1934, which is the the date that he allegedly adopted anti-Semitism, long before then, over the previous two years, there are clear indications in not just Mosey's own speeches, but in the propaganda produced by his party and its newspapers, that it was preparing the ground for an an anti-Semitic position. And my argument is that the party, first of all, understood that it couldn't be explicitly anti-Semitic straight away, but it wanted to actually create the conditions in which this anti-Semitism could be activated. And the way that it wanted to do this was by provoking Jews into a violent response, which the fascists could then use to lay out this uh, narrative that their anti-Semitism was a response to that aggression. So we see periodically over the first couple of years of the party's existence these um, quite short but sus- but um, uh, uh, intense outbursts of anti-Semitism in of own speeches and writing and in the propaganda that it produced that were designed to provoke fears amongst uh, Jews and push them into active forms of resistance to the party. And actually, funny enough, they, they weren't really successful in that regard in, in the sense that before um, late 1934, there was relatively little um Jewish um direct Jewish anti-fascist activity but nevertheless there was enough of it and there were it was easy enough for the fascists to to highlight cases of Jewish opposition uh, to the BUF for them to try to um push this narrative this version of events that anti-semitism was something that had been forced upon them and related to this the second um argument that I've made and the second way I've tried to challenge, um, existing perceptions of, uh, of the fascist antisemitism was to show how directly Mosley himself was in control of this process. Um, there's been again a, a pervading sense in the historiography that Mosley was forced in this direction not just by jewish actions but by more anti-semitic members of his party that he himself was relatively uninterested in anti-semitism and certainly it's true that before he founded the buf he'd shown no interest at all in anti-semitism in his political career um and so starting in the 1970s when a very sympathetic um uh, biography of mosley was published published by robert skidelsky that established an idea of mosley as a reluctant anti-Semite, one who was uh, uh, forced to take this position by Jews and by um, other members of his, uh, 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 his fascist party. And what I tried to show is that right from the very start it was clear that the way Mosley spoke about Jews, or sometimes more generally and indirectly about aliens, but with a clear implication that he was talking about Jews, it was apparent immediately that this was an integral part of the 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 program and the, especially the ideology, the fascist ideology that he wished to um, uh, to promote as leader of the BUF. Uh, and so we see this increasingly. This initially this was sketched out in 1932, 1933, but immediately from 1934 when the party officially adopted anti-Semitism, Mosley was always at the forefront of this process and um, uh, making absolutely clear the relationship between his fascist beliefs and uh, the anti-Semitism that was an integral part of them.
1: That's great. So uh, we've already touched on this a little bit, but can you tell us about the different debates in the Jewish community about how best to combat fascism? Um, what were the different groups involved and how did these debates evolve throughout uh, the early and the mid-30s?
0: Yeah, so the the traditional view, which has some credence, is that, that there was a, this kind of a dichotomy within anglo Jewry that on one hand you had um, the Jewish leadership, who were this more respectable elements of society, who were... Uh, usually came from long-standing Anglo-Jewish families who were fully assimilated um, uh, members of the middle middle classes. Um, that they were, uh, the, the the belief, the traditional belief is that they were rather complacent about the fascist threat, that they felt that um, uh, if it was just ignored, it would go away or it wasn't particularly serious. Um, whereas, by contrast, the uh, Jewish working classes in particular, um, who were uh, often more recent immigrants who had come from Eastern Europe, um, or their parents or grandparents had come from Eastern Europe, over the last um, half century or so that they presented a much more vigorous um, uh, response to the fascists. And this was because they couldn't afford to be complacent because they were in the front line of fascist activity. And in particular, the East end, which I mentioned earlier, which became the focus of the fascist campaigning, housed the largest Jewish population in Britain. And this was a a poor working class, uh, recently immigrated Jewish community. And so, um uh, in direct response to the uh, to the threat of fascism that uh, was increasing the this vicious campaign of uh, intimidation sometimes physical violence against Jews they were forced to respond so that's been the traditional image of these two different responses the elites who remained quite passive and complacent and the Jewish working class who were um quite active and vigorous in responding to the fascists and up until maybe um, 1936 this has some validity although as I mentioned earlier in the very earliest days of the the fascist party there was relatively little organised Jewish resistance but certainly once the fascists became openly anti-Semitic in late 1934 we do see this divergence between a um, a more kind of quietist policy by the Jewish leadership and a more active one by the Jewish working class but what I argue in the book is that this situation only really holds until um, about late 1936. And over the last um, three years or so of the uh, fascist party's existence, we see um, a growing convergence between the different sections of the Jewish community. And this is something that um, previously, before my book, hasn't really been acknowledged anywhere in the scholarship. And what we find is there's this dual process going on at both the top and the bottom of uh, the community, and um, the elite Jewish leadership started to realize that perhaps it had misjudged the fascist threat, but in particular that its passivity had created a great deal of anger within the rest of the Jewish community, which was um, causing uh, causing the Jewish leadership problems in its attempts to exert uh, its authority over the community. So it started to introduce um, a more active, um, direct anti-fascist policy. It never supported direct confrontation with the fascists, but it did start to um, uh, support various forms of anti-fascist activity. And then at the same time, at the bottom end of the community, among the working class Um, we again see a shifting approach that previously they'd favoured many many Jews had favoured quite an assertive response which had often involved directly challenging the fascists on the streets uh, disrupting their meetings, heckling um, uh, trying to prevent the fascists from holding their events but what many um, Jewish anti-fascist organizations began to realize and non-Jewish anti-fascist organizations as well began to realize was that this type of activity was often counterproductive because the fascists thrived off conflict. The, the, the more their meetings were disrupted, and especially the more they were disrupted by Jews, the more it allowed the fascists to portray themselves as victims of some kind of Jewish conspiracy, to silence them, to silence the true voice of the British people, and many anti-fascists started to realize that um, uh, the kind of aggressive uh, approach that some of them had taken um, was actually working um, against their interests. And so we see this process in particular take place after the Battle of Cable Street, which I mentioned a moment ago. This was the most uh, famous anti-fascist event in uh, in British history when uh, a huge crowd of around 100,000 anti-fascists um, uh, congregated in East London to block a fascist procession that was due to take place through that part of the city. Um, the event was extremely violent. There were um, uh, uh, almost a hundred arrests and tens of uh, uh, injuries. Um and, um, uh, uh, what happened afterwards, on the day itself, the fascists were prevented from marching. The BUF mostly were able to exploit this to, to support this narrative of victimhood. And this actually led to an increase in sympathy for and membership of the fascists in East London. Um, it led to a, a rise in intensification in the fascists, um, anti-Jewish campaign. There was an increase in, Uh, uh, anti-Semitic propaganda in uh, physical attacks against Jews and this led many anti-fascists to start to reconsider their approach and to, to try to moderate the types of behavior that um, uh, that they 've been involved with, and so what we see over the late 1930s and this really I'm the first to uh, to explore this process we see that the different sections of the Jewish community in Britain start to converge around a, a shared approach to anti to anti fascism that they coordinated with one another that involved um, Various forms of anti-fascist propaganda designed to attack the fascists themselves, but also to um, advertise the um, contribution of the Jewish community and to refute some of the anti-Semitic slanders that the fascists were promulgating. Uh, It also involved... Um, uh, secretive attempts to investigate the fascists so the, 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 the Jewish leadership placed um, moles and spies within fascist organisations collected a huge amount of intelligence on what the fascists were doing. Uh, it also involved lobbying of the authorities to try to um, encourage them to prohibit fascist marches to introduce legal measures to restrict um, fascist activity and especially fascist anti-Semitic activity, um, and so we see over the late nineteen thirties this this process of convergence taking place.
1: Great. So, what was the effect of the Jewish struggle against fascism on the overall character and identity of Anglo Jewry, um, of sort of the, the politics and uh, of, of belonging, I suppose, um, in an ongoing sense? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's become a, a really an integral part of the formation of an Anglo-Jewish identity. And this is something that's especially the case for, as I mentioned, the more recently immigrated Jewish community who arrived from Eastern Europe in the late 19th century and early 20th century. And by the 1930s, these Jews were still struggling to, to find their place in british society and, and their identity to balance the um uh, balance their jewish and their british identities alongside one another these were mostly second and third generation um uh, immigrant jews who uh, born in britain but still not entirely accepted by many sections of british society and the struggle against fascism helped to provide them with um, Um, a sense of mission, a a sense of um, participation in uh, uh, in this struggle. And this was, of course, not just a Jewish struggle. There was a huge anti-fascist movement um, uh, which operated at various levels. You had the the Communist Party um, uh, doing much of the street-level organization of anti-fascist activism. Then at higher levels, you had political parties like the Labour Party who were uh, involved in the more political aspects of opposing fascism you then had the, the state authorities who worked alongside the jewish leadership to try to restrict fascist activity um and so at each level jews were collaborating with non-jewish partners to try to in with this shared interest of um uh, of trying to limit or restrict um fascist activity and so for many jews this became a kind of a defining feature of who they were and this is something that's especially become ingrained in the post war period, um, of course after the first war after the Second World War, um, anti fascism became not just uh, the domain of the far left or of uh, of the Jewish community, but of course Britain had just fought a war against fascism, against the um uh, the European counterparts of the British fascist movement. And so the fight against fascism became a kind of a, a patriotic duty, became a sense of part of um, British identity. And so for Jews, this provided them um, a, a, a kind of a route into Britishness in a way, one that allowed them to both assert their identity as Jews, standing up to fascist anti, uh, anti-Semitism, but also to show themselves as part of this broader British struggle against fascism, against extremism, against politicized forms of prejudice. And so um, even today, um, in fact, especially today, um, uh, this idea of the Jewish struggle against fascism in the 1930s and also in the post-war period when Mosley tried to revive his movement and especially key events like the Battle of Cable Street in October 1936 have become um, uh, an integral part of, uh, of Anglo-Jewish identity.
1: That's great. Well, thanks very much for for your time today, Daniel. It's um, a fascinating book. Uh, congratulations on it. Um, just before Thank you, you leave, um, can you tell us uh, what you're working on next?
0: Yeah, so the the project I've only recently started to um, to undertake it. So it's in the very early stages, but it's actually a, a, a kind of a, an offshoot of uh, of the book we've just been discussing. Um, one of the key figures. Um, in the book is the the president of the board of deputies of British Jews, which is Anglo Jewry's um, official representative body. The president was um, um, uh, um, Neville Lasky, um, and Lasky comes from a, um, a, a family that became quite prominent during this period. His brother Harold was a. Um, uh, a prominent uh, socialist Labour Party intellectual, their father Nathan was uh, one of the leaders of the Jewish community in Manchester, the second largest um, Jewish community in Britain. And Harold, the, the 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 socialist intellectual, has received a lot of attention in um, uh, from historians, but Neville and Nathan have received very little, and so. The next project I'm uh, going to be working on is a, um, a, a, a look at the, the Lasky family and the role that they played in many of the uh, momentous events that were taking place during this period, so the struggle against fascism, um, uh, Zionism in the establishment of the um, Jewish state um, of Israel, um, the whole process of uh, not just Jewish, but immigration, migration generally, um, assimilation, uh, the question of identity and balancing Jewish British identities.
1: That sounds really interesting. Um, we'll have to have you back on New Books in Jewish Studies to talk about that. So, thanks very much for listening. Uh, with us, we've had Daniel Tillis talking about his new book, British Fascist Antisemitism and Jewish Responses, 1932 to 1940 published in 2015 by Bloomsbury. Thanks very much, Daniel.